Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about building confidence and self-belief. As a leader, we've all experienced those times of self-doubt and fear of failure. And for many of us, there will be more instances of that. So we need to learn how to get past this fear and into a better, healthier mindset. With me today is Charlotte Crabtree. Charlotte is a professional coach that focuses her time and efforts on helping the next generation of leaders build confidence and stand out so they can create more opportunities for success and also to have a career and life that they love. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you for taking time to talk with me today. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. So to start us off, considering most of our audience is made up of people who are working really hard to secure that next promotion on their leadership journey, it's all too common to have self-doubt and fear enter into our minds. Talk to me a little bit about why this happens. Yeah, I think it's definitely fear and self-doubt is something that affects all of us at different stages in our lives and our careers and in different kind of levels. But there's a couple of things to this. And one of the things that I think we don't talk about enough is the fact that the journey that we go on in our careers is not, we're not taught how to do that at school. So we start our childhood and we go through this education system and we've always got somebody telling us what's next and what we, what's, what's the next step for us and what we need to do to get there. And if we do this, then we'll get that. And then you graduate and it's off you go. And we're just kind of <laughs> left to our own devices to figure it out for ourselves. So we step out into this big wide world and it's a new experience really for us to find our own opportunities rather than be handed them or told what we should be looking for. And it can feel quite unnatural. And the thing is that emotions and, you know, these feelings of self-doubt and fear, they are a biological process. So every time we do something new, we're pushing out of our comfort zone. And it's wonderful because we're every moment that we live, we are learning something new in one way or another. But when we consciously take on something that we know we haven't done before, like a new opportunity or going for a promotion or trying a project that's a level more difficult than than we're used to doing our brains are naturally wired to look for the danger so in the caveman days you know we would do the same thing day in day out when it gave us enough but these days we always want more so we have to take risks to get it and when we talk about emotions being a biological process they're really a product of thought patterns and physical feelings. They're reactions to our environment. And that's not something that you can control. You can control your response to the emotion and you can work on your mindset and your beliefs and your awareness of your thought patterns to produce more positive emotions. But fundamentally, no emotion is ever going to be wrong because it's our body's natural response to something. And something really interesting as well is we don't know the difference between excitement and anxiety in our body. The physical sensation is the same. So we tend to, you know, maybe we feel excited about something, but we're so used to feeling anxious in a certain environment or feeling worried about a presentation, for example, we, we mistake one for the other based on what we feel most often. So it's really important actually to, to actually sit with those feelings and accept them, accept that you're feeling what you're feeling, but really notice what it's kind of signposting because our emotions can tell us what it is that we need, what it is that we're missing. 
it's beyond just feeling afraid or doubting yourself. It's a signal to look for something that you are lacking in. Um, And that could be more security, more information, or simply more support. So how do these emotions drive our actions in the workplace and and manifest themselves in the workplace? Our emotions lead to immediate kind of responses. In the primitive brain, we have fight, flight, and freeze as our, you know, most primitive reactions. And I think when people, when people worry about being called too emotional at work, it's really more about our reaction to our emotions rather than the emotions themselves. So if you're not feeling confident about yourself or something that's happening at work, it can manifest in things like you're sitting in a meeting and you, you come up with an idea, but you think, oh, I'm not really sure about sharing this idea. What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if somebody um, tells me it's stupid? What if somebody laughs at me? What if somebody says that was my idea and you're taking credit for it? It can give us a sense of imposter syndrome where we think everyone else around this table is far superior. They're more experienced. They're, they've been here longer. They know more than me. They're simply more intelligent than I am. And on the other end of the scale, rather than holding ourselves back, it can lead us to take on too much. So we lean into this kind of idea of perfectionism and needing to get everything 100% right to tick that off the list. And then we can move on to earn the, earn the right to move on to harder stuff. We either procrastinate trying to get everything 100% perfect, which in most cases is completely impossible, or we take on too much work. So we'll people please and we'll help everybody else out or we'll say, oh, yeah, I'll, I can do that. Or I'll just do this and then I'll do that. And so both ways that it manifests really hold us back, one in terms of shying away from things and one in terms of kind of hiding behind a wall of work or a wall of exceptions like, well, once I've done this, then we can do that. So if you find yourself in a situation where maybe you are starting to take on too much or perfectionist tendencies are taking over, feeling this obligation to do more, how can somebody overcome this? Well, the first thing that I always say is that um, awareness is the key to moving forward. So acknowledging that things aren't how you want them to be is the first step. And if you're feeling you know, in a bit of a funk at work, so if you're feeling the pressure or feeling anxious about something or just sitting there realizing that you're feeling unconfident about something, then the first thing you need to do is take a step back. It's really interesting when you notice that our problems compound when we focus too closely on them. So if you're thinking about a specific scenario where you're worried about somebody judging you or the feedback that you might get from something or your performance about something or criticizing yourself or just worrying about one very specific thing, if all of your attention is going on to that, it feels like the biggest deal in the world. Not to say that it's not important, but if you can just take a step back and think about your performances as a whole, your relationships with your team as a whole, the the work that you've done and the feedback that you've had before, when you bring all of that into the picture, it makes it feel a lot more manageable. And then the second thing I would suggest would be to sit with that feeling and really listen to your body and just take a moment to reflect, like breathe into it and just think, what is it that I need right now? How, what would I need to move forward? Do I need 
more information from somebody? Do I need somebody actually to just give me a bit of a pat on the back and say, you're doing okay? Is it that I need to push myself out of my comfort zone? So just kind of spending a little bit of time reflecting internally and thinking about what it is that you that you need. What's this emotion signposting for you? And then the third thing that I'd recommend is to take the personal element out of the picture. So whatever the situation is that you're worrying about, think about it in the third person as though a friend were telling you this story or somebody that you've just met. If they were explaining the scenario to you and telling you what they were worried about, what would you tell them to do? For example, if you were in a meeting and feeling like you shouldn't speak up because nobody's going to listen to you, it can be really easy to get caught up in that feeling of being ignored or judged or rejected and play over that scenario and find detail. So chunk it up to the bigger picture and how you perform overall and how you fit in with that group. Then listen to your body and and how the emotion or the worry feels. Where is it in your body and, and what does it feel like? What would make you feel better? Even if it's just a cup of tea or a hug. And then imagine that you're talking to a friend. And also think about the potential outcomes and the consequences of you doing or not doing what you're worrying about. How is it going to benefit you if you do contribute? Uh, that's all great advice. I, I really appreciate taking a moment to pause, especially when you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Mm. Uh, I've learned to do that over my career. And breathing, as you mentioned, is one of my secret powers, I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> superpowers that I do now. And just taking a, two minutes to reset really helps. I also like the remove the personal element suggestion that you have too. I think that's key in, in getting yourself back to a, a place where you can be productive. Definitely. I think with that as well, it's so helpful to be aware of the language that you're using, both with yourself and with people that you're talking to. And one of our very common things to say would be, it made me feel this, or you said this, and it makes me feel this. But actually, if you take not necessarily the feeling out of it, but the connection out of it. So rather than you've done something and now I feel this, it's I feel this way. So I feel unconfident. I feel afraid. If you take the kind of connection out of that, you can separate what it is that you need from the environment that you're in. And it takes a lot of the blame out. And that makes it much easier to have conversations with people about it because it's a lot more objective. And then you can find resolution, but more importantly, support a lot quicker. Earlier, you talked a a little bit about conducting yourself in a meeting and helping find your voice. Think about people like myself who have an introverted nature or people who may have just been promoted to a new level in the organization and, and might be experiencing that imposter syndrome that, that you've mentioned. What advice do you have to help people build confidence and, and that self-belief so they can position themselves well for their new promotion, as well as when they're moving up in, into other levels? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I would say, remember that your introversion is your superpower whatever it is that makes you feel different to anyone else, that is your strength. So how can you work it? And there's a common misconception really with introverts. I'm introverted as well, is that, you know, we're shy and we're quiet and we lack confidence, but it's not necessarily the case. With introverts, we process things differently. I mean, everybody is a little bit different and they're built different ways and they process things differently. But with being an introvert, 
And even if you are lacking in confidence and it's coming out as it's manifesting itself as being shy or you're just not ready to speak up in a meeting, for example, sometimes you just need a minute to catch up and and absorb what's going on around you. And that in itself is something that can be really beneficial. So when everyone else in the room seems to be shouting over each other, it's a competition for who can get their idea across the loudest, who can get the most people to agree with them. Sometimes the best thing you can do in those scenarios is actually just sit back and absorb what's going on around you. Listen to all the points that are being put across. Listen to the agreements and the disagreements and the issues that are being raised and how things are being challenged and how people are responding to that. I think particularly when you're in a new environment, it's really good to actually take some time to get a feel for who the other personalities are in the room, especially if you never worked with them before and they're brand new people to you. But also if you have worked with them before and now you're in a different position, the dynamic can change. So really actively listening and absorbing what's going on around you. And you can use that opportunity to share your reflections later. So a meeting might last 60 minutes, but the conversations around that topic quite often go on for days or weeks or months. So there'll be more opportunity. There is always a way that you can do you and it worked perfectly. And if that means at the beginning, you don't speak up in meetings, but you follow up afterwards, that's great. And as you build more confidence and you build those relationships with people because you're taking the time to understand them and get that feedback afterwards, as you kind of build that and get a feel for things, you can start kind of experimenting. So you can just dip your toe in the water and ask a question or just make a suggestion or agree with somebody or challenge somebody without going all in and saying, I think we should do this. So I think a lot of the time we we are so focused on having to be professional and having to be taken seriously that we forget, especially when we're doing creative meetings, collaborating, coming up with new ideas, it's an opportunity to play around with it. And so you don't necessarily have to have the best and the most constructive and the most serious idea. Sometimes you can throw something completely abstract in there and just see what comes out of it. When we teach uh, innovation, we talk a lot about that and how as adults, we, we start becoming less innovative because we don't want to share those ideas because we don't want to get laughed at or we don't want to say, oh, that's a bad idea. And yeah. to get some of that psychological safety is, is key to really helping unlock more ideas and sharing and, and feeling more comfortable in a meeting. Yeah, definitely. I think really when it comes to kind of progression and stuff, the, the thing that's going to hold you back the most is if you do nothing. So it's always worth trying, experimenting, playing around, making a, you know, a little bit of progress each time, as long as you're doing something. One of the things we talked about in a previous conversation that I'd like to highlight for our audience, uh, you have an interesting technique for time management and controlling your day. And I was wondering if you would talk to our audience about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I recommend to pretty much everyone that I work with that they only schedule about 50% of work in, in their day. So if, for example, you're in the office nine to five, you have an eight hour day, I would only schedule four hours of work in that day. And I say this to everyone, but it's particularly important for people in leadership and management roles, because 
as a leader, you need time to think and you need time, you need to be able to kind of see the, the big picture and have more perspectives than somebody that is in a kind of head down project management delivery role only. And you also need time to look after the team that you're supporting, which is very rarely built into job descriptions. <laughs> so generally, I would suggest only scheduling about 50% of work into your day. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to do more than 50%. That doesn't mean that you're going to get to the end of four hours worth of work and be like, oh, do you know what? That's all I plan to do today. I'm done. I'm out. It just means that you have the space to choose what you do next. So if that means getting ahead and bringing forward something that you were planning on doing tomorrow, but you'd really could do with getting it done today, then you've got that space to do it. And it means that if a crisis comes in from a client or something going wrong with the team, you've got the headspace and the time available to help work them through it and find a solution. So it really just gives you the opportunity to adapt and be flexible with what's happening. And it gives you a focus as well. So that if all you do in that day is achieve, you know, one main, one major thing, it's still one major thing that you've been focusing on. I was going to say that I've actually experimented with this a little bit uh, since we've met and I find it to be very helpful. Oh, amazing. Um, and while maybe I'm not as dogmatic about, okay, it's going to be four hours. I will schedule time each day to get you know things that I need to get done. And then the rest of the time is a little more free-based where I can spend time with my team or with my clients. And it also gives me time to think. And that's one of the mm. things that earlier in my career, I always struggled with as a leader was I didn't have time to think about the big picture and what's coming next. Uh, I didn't have time to reflect. And that's something that we preach a lot in our executive programs is take some, the time to think about what's happening, celebrate your successes, see how maybe you can get better. And by blocking off some time and not over scheduling yourself, uh, you can actually do that. So I found myself to be more productive and I appreciate you sharing this uh, with our listeners. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's funny as well, because when we move into leadership roles, having this time to think and reflect and plan ahead and also look back and, and focus on, you know, lessons that can be learned and things like that, it's really crucial for strategy and for leading your team into success and achieving the kind of business objectives for your team. But it's almost paradoxical. Is that the word? Because we we are moving up. So we have, we're taking on more responsibility. We're usually taking on a higher salary. And so it seems bizarre to be saying, okay, well, I need to spend less time working. And again, it's one of those things that, you, you know, they don't teach us that at school. And your boss is still likely to be putting the pressure on you because they need the results from you and your team. But nobody, it's almost like nobody wants to say, here's some free time for you to think. But actually thinking is, I mean, what are we doing if we're not thinking? We're just plowing through, churning out work, never doing it any better, never really taking the time to celebrate, like you said, which is so important for not only morale and motivation, but also recognizing what you are doing well and how can you compound that effect? 
as well as reflecting on things that could be done better and actually having the space to think, well, how could we change that and how can we avoid that happening again? I'm really glad that that's been working out for you. So you mentioned moving up in an organization and sometimes that requires actually moving out of your organization to another organization. What can you tell us about the advantages and disadvantages of of job hopping as you know, some people think there's a stigma around it, some people don't. And how do you evaluate when it's time to move or, or if you should even move? The stigma around job hopping, I think, comes from worrying that, you know, you can't stick at anything. You go to an organization and then you move and then you move and then you move like every you know few months or every year or something like that. But I think the reality of it is if you are taking a position for a reason if you're taking it to gain a particular experience that's not a bad reason to move so if you took a series of um short-term contracts or you moved into one company and then moved into something to do a different role or a different type of company or different size company you're gaining really valuable experience so when you then apply for a job that you think this is the one i want for the long haul you can explain that very easily in like your, your covering letter and your interview, things like that. I think as long as you're moving for the right reason, that is a good reason to go. But what I think a lot of people either don't realize or don't want to acknowledge, I'm going to dare to say, is that challenges that you have in one place, you will have everywhere you go. That's true. Um, yeah. I mean, I I speak from experience. It took me a really long time to realize that. So I used to be a massive people pleaser and I would burn out again and again because I would work so much overtime and I would always, always take on more than I had time for. And I always took feedback really personally. And so many times I would change job and think, oh, it's just this company or it's just my boss or it's just this team or it's just that client. But the same challenges manifest in one way or another, wherever you go. So until you do that work, like we were talking, you know, right at the beginning of our conversation on how you respond to your emotions and working on your mindset so that you're aware of your thought patterns that are creating those emotions and creating those reactions. Once you do that work, then you can see very clearly whether it's you and something you need to work on or something you need to do differently, or maybe even a conversation that you need to have, but something that you can manage within your environment, or you are just in a very toxic environment, or there is something that is unusual or out of order that wouldn't happen somewhere else. But I think until you've done that work and you have that awareness and you have the tools to manage situations as best you can, it's very hard to kind of see the difference. So I think when it comes to thinking about changing career, it can be really helpful again to go back to those feeling those emotions and and breathing through it, like you said, and just really taking some perspective, taking the personal element out of it, take your feelings away from the situation and think, you know, what do I need in this situation? Is it a fresh start? Is it more support for my line manager? Is it better communication with my team? Is it stronger boundaries so that I can say no to my workload? And from there, you can make the right decision for you. And I also tell people usually earlier in their leadership journey that sometimes seeing multiple organizations is good just to not get locked into one way of thinking. And you get a 
a different perspective working in different industries and different companies as well. So sometimes yeah. moving uh, to a different organization can be very helpful for your long-term career growth. Yeah, definitely. So up to this point, we've talked mostly about work and I want to talk a little bit about personal life. And mm -hmm. what advice can you give to our listeners as they look to have combined success in their career and personal life? Because I know a lot of leaders do struggle with that balance. Definitely. The number one lesson I really learned along my personal development journey that I think will help the listeners is to remember that you come first. And in order to create real harmony with your lifestyle and your relationships, you have to have filled your cup first. It's the age old uh, analogy of like fitting your own oxygen mask before you fit others. Yes. And it, I don't mean you know, typical self-care things like chocolate and bubble baths, although that obviously can be part of it, but it's things like making time for yourself every day and sticking to promises and commitments that you make to yourself and working on your mindset and your confidence and making sure that you're aligning your life to your values and the things that make you feel happy. Because when you feel like you're, you're your own foundation, you're giving yourself enough of what you need and what you want in your own life. And that includes being fulfilled at work. It's then so much easier to give yourself to others, to be emotionally available and be able to support people in your life. And that goes for people in your personal life and people at work as well. But we are here to live. We are here to enjoy. And work is something that's really important to a lot of us. And it gives us a lot, but it has to be giving to us and not taking from us. So, yeah, putting yourself first, even if it's just the first 20 minutes of every day, being intentional with that time, making sure that you are feeling what you're feeling, like assessing what's going on for you in the morning, just practicing gratitude, being thankful for another day, taking that time to walk the dog or enjoy your cup of coffee or do yoga before you go to work, whatever it is that makes you feel good. It's just so important. Uh, that's great advice, spot on, uh, on everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I love all the suggestions. So thank you. Oh, pleasure. Well, well, Charlotte, thank you so much for making time in your schedule to share your thoughts, advice, and expertise with us. If you're interested in more tips and information from Charlotte, please take a few moments and visit charlottecrabtree.com. I'm also including a link in the description area of this episode to five confidence hacks to take control in your career written by Charlotte. So download that and uh, give it a read as well. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back with us regularly for additional episodes.